Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. I want to have you meet this young woman that I learned about on Twitter because of some of my followers said you have to know about this person, a woman who is speaking openly about mental health. She's super savvy in terms of music. She's a producer, a creative director, and get this, she's a senior strategist for Dionne Warwick. The moment I wake up. Yeah, she's good, huh? I say a little prayer for you. So I want to introduce you to Brittany Warwick, a president of WN1 Agency, the creative director and senior strategist for Dionne Warwick, and in her own right, this kick-ass mental health activist who I think you are just going to fall in love with as I have. Good morning. Good morning, Brittany. It's so good to see you. This is a dream come true, to be honest, like just to meet like-minded individuals. This is amazing. I'll tell you, I started this work probably 13 years ago now, my late husband died by suicide and I was in the weeds completely by myself for the longest time. At that point, very few people talked openly about mental health struggles. There was a lot of stigma that was still going on out in the community. And I'll tell you how it shifted is young people like you, because you guys are willing to say, we're not going to stand for this anymore. How do you think that happened? What do you think shifted in the conversation? I think it's the way we were brought up generationally. My parents were taught their generation to be seen and not heard, do as I say, not as I do. And their parents were taught a more harsh version of that. And I think that generational trauma kind of trickles down the line. And so when we got to millennials, which I'm a millennial, and then Gen Z, it's like, wait a second, this is wrong. Why aren't we talking about mental health? Why aren't we talking about these hard conversations? And I learned it's because it makes them uncomfortable to speak mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Well, I am a firm believer that millennials and Gen Z are breaking these generational curses, for lack of a better term, because we want to speak about it. We, we don't want to raise our children to be seen and not heard. We want to know everything. We want mm -hmm. to have a more intimate relationship, you know, a more mental relationship with our kids. You know, a lot of people, I'm doing a lot of work in uh, big companies now, and they're putting it under their diversity, equity, and inclusion package. They're saying that people bring different things to the table if we're asking the whole person to come to work and we're going to honor their different cultures, their skin color, we're going to honor what their backgrounds are, their mental health has to be a part of that initiative. And I actually think that is where it's going to really get legs is when you start seeing it talked about as part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I don't want to like drop the name of the brand. I won't do that. But one of my good friends works for a very notable brand, uh, athletic brand, and they take good care of their employees in terms of mental health. And it is unheard of to let your employees have a week off if they need, if they have burnout. My friend was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm taking like the next week and a half off. And I'm like, oh, like what holiday is it? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I just, you know, need to go to therapy and I need to get my mental health up. And I'm like, wow, that needs to be more bait, like the basic standard across the board for all totally. of these different companies. Your Twitter feed is not only so completely authentic and hilarious, it just, I love it. But you have talked about your personal journey with your mental health in a very open way. You said, I almost didn't make it past 2015. I was in the darkest place I'd ever been. That experience plus my psych education is why I continue to keep this conversation going. We don't have enough help available and I'll spend the rest of my life trying to change that. First of all, as someone who 
is very open about my own mental health and has gone through my own struggles. I see you, I feel you, thank you for saying it. And if you just describe for people what it was that was going on and how you got there, and then how you came to your own care, I'd be super interested to hear that story. My brother passed away in 2012 and he had pneumonia and it, it was just one of those things where his heart was too weak to withstand the surgery that had to take place in order to do what they needed to do to fix him. So, you know, Sheila, my entire life, I've always felt a little bit sad, but I wasn't sure what was going on. And my parents, bless their hearts, they didn't know how to help me because they were taught to be seen and not heard. They didn't know to like look deeper into, you know, what's going on with their kids. They just chalked it up to me being um, enthusiastic or a drama queen or so to speak, whatever. And it wasn't until my brother passed away that I was like, wait a second, like, this is not just sadness. It's, it's more than that. And I could feel myself declining. I could feel myself just defeated. I could feel myself not wanting to get out of bed. And these were all new emotions, right? Because I'd always felt just a tiny bit sad, but I was functional. I was able to go and do things. Granted, I did have quite a bit of anxiety throughout life. And that's just like who I am as a person. I live with anxiety. But after my brother passed away, I had to take off work. They were like, wait, you have to work. Like, sorry, your brother died, but you need to work. And I'm like, nope, bye. Mm. See you later. <laughs> so I just left and I didn't work for a little bit. And wow. I spent months, months in bed. Wow. Months in bed. I was just, you know, what do you, when this person leaves that you, that's all you've known. And he was my older brother. Right. So I've only known a life where he was there oh. and to, to keep existing without him was just like, this feels wrong. This feels, it feel, it felt wrong. So I was just getting more sad. And I was the only one, I am one of four kids counting my brother and everybody was dealing with it in their own way. And I was not taking it the hardest, but just expressing outwardly how I was feeling. And at one point I told my mom, I was like, Hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't think that this is for me. I don't think, I don't think this is where it's at. And my mom was like, Oh my gosh, like we need to get you help now. So she like took me to um, a place and I, you know, got diagnosed and they got me help. And I don't, I think if she didn't do that, there would be a very different story. I'm so open about that because I think a lot of people are ashamed to talk about it Mm. because it's such a deeply personal journey, but a lot of people actually go through things like that. They don't know that other people are experiencing the same thing. And I think that there's strength in numbers. And I think that my brother wants me to talk about it. It's one of those things where he's like, you are a healer and don't hold back on your healing. Who cares about what people think about it? Like if you're talking about this a hundred times a day, you never know who you're going to reach. That's right. Yeah. So I started doing like Twitter started putting out those things called spaces. It's those like clubhouse, like the, the, yeah. what are they called social audio rooms. That's my profession. What are they called? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so I started holding mental health spaces and this is what helped me during my mental health journey, which was like, you know, those apps and stuff like that, that are, um, approved through yeah. the association. And I was like, I'll pay for a year. Just hop in. You know what I mean? Wow. So Amazing. I got people to hop in and we talked about things and I would, you know, gift out sort of like the mental health fairy godmother where I'm like, this helped me. Let me gift you with this circle back and let me know how you like it. And so that's, Amazing. that's something that I'm always doing because I think that first of all, we're in a pandemic who has money to pay for this extra app who has money for therapy, 
which is another thing that I've been trying to do is go around and pay for people's therapy sessions. Yeah. If you need the help. Yeah. You know, it's one of the main reasons I was really hoping to talk to you today, because I think that beyond stigma, once we crush stigma forever, and it's going to be like a bad memory when people couldn't talk about mental health issues, that there is the problem of access and parity. And I want to just get a little bit of background so that I can give you and your friends and everybody of this age ways to get involved, ways to keep fighting, ways to demand the care you deserve. So first of all, did you attempt to go through an insurance or are you working like without insurance right now? Insurance. And did you find that your insurance was not paying what at the parity level that they should have? Yes. All right. Here I am going to deputize you and every single one of your followers. Okay. The Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, which was passed by Patrick Kennedy, it ensures that all health insurance carriers have to achieve complete parity between mental health and set up like medical and surgical benefits, okay? So that means that if they provide medical and surgical benefits, then they also have to require similar financial requirements for you to be able to get mental health benefits. This means that that should apply to at least six to 12 therapy sessions that are covered free. And right now there's an amazing, amazing place that is so great because what it's doing is allowing people who have been denied to actually get on this site. It's called don'tbedenied.org. And it talks about all your rights to mental health and addiction treatment, how you file a claim with your insurance company. And I will tell you, Brittany, nine times out of 10, if you file the claim, they end up covering it and reimbursing you the costs for your care. I have to share that. Yes. I, that's amazing. I was calling, I'm calling around or, I, you know, I'm trickling down my mailing list. I put out like a, like a bat signal and I was like, Hey, if you need help, all you have to do is enter your email address. You don't have to give me an explanation. If you need help, that's all I need to know. And it filled my inbox and I started working through it and started calling. And, you know, some of these people would leave notes like, Hey, like I was diagnosed. They told me what I needed. They told me the prescription that I needed and then I couldn't pay for it. So I'm just suffering. It's like this barrier where it's like, I know what I need, but I can't get it because the government won't let me get to it. All right. A second tip in terms of prescription assistance, there are so many places that you can go. First of all, there's a place called Needy Meds that helps people of all age with or without insurance to get assistance. They'll send you to a low cost clinic that can actually give you free meds if you need them. There is of course, Rx Assist and Rx Hope if you wanna bring down the cost. But what I think is most important is to, for instance, talk to me about the brand name of the drug you're taking and I will give you the patient assistance number of that drug company and they often will provide free to low cost prescriptions for people because they have a government mandate to do this, to help people get the drugs that are going to help them. I am so tired of people suffering in silence over this issue. It, it astounds me. It astounds me that this information isn't given to every patient who walks into a therapist's office. Here's how you get what you deserve. It all comes down to money. Oh, I know. I know. And these companies have just grown to not care. Yeah. And that's so sad. But also, Brittany, I think they're depending upon the lethargy and defeated nature of people who are suffering from mental illness to not get on the phone and fight for themselves. 
I wish that I had nine hours a day just to be like a mental health navigator and do all this work for people. But it does take the belief, A, that you're worthy of this care, see that you're deserving of it being paid for because you're human and you're already paying into an insurance company and because there's laws now protecting you from this kind of thing. And so I'm going to send you all this information. Honestly, I hope that there's a revolution around this to the point where insurers are like, oh, we're running scared. Our profits are not going to be billions of dollars next year. <laughs> I There's a way to, to fight for this. There's a way to get through and there's a way to remedy, like fix the issue. And I just feel deep in my soul that the, I'm called to have a part in that. Yes. Even though my career is very, very heavily based in entertainment, there's just a part of me that's, I need to fight this. Yeah. It's interesting that so many entertainers, just because of that wide bandwidth and that creative ability also suffer from anxiety and depression. So you have a kind of a captive audience there of people who self-identify as struggling from time to time. It's interesting to me because it's so clear how sensitive and intelligent and really bright you are. And honestly, those are the people I see most of the time who struggle. It's strange. There's almost like there's this gift on the margins of that type of experience that you honestly do see things differently and more creatively and brighter. And you're also, your brain also allows you to swing to the other side of that experience. And so if you can just manage the highs and lows and stay somewhere where you've got equilibrium, it feels like that's a good, good thing for you moving forward, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, creatives feel things so deeply and that's yeah. why and it shows up in their art and when you feel things so deeply. It's, there are consequences of that and mental health is, <laughs> it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's one of those consequences. I don't think I'm laughing because I'm like, it's me. This is, I'm talking about myself. Um, like we feel so deeply because we, I guess our brains are wired to to do so in our art, but at the same time, it's like we, there's, we need more outlets for those feelings. Even in watching the way that you sort of reframed your aunt's career to say, you are still relevant. People need to hear your voice. People need to continue to learn about you. Other people might not have seen that possibility. And that was once again, due to your particular brain working in a different and kind of magical way. When I'm talking with people, I'm always like, yes, we can absolutely honor the depressive syndrome and the times that are difficult, but we can't ignore how much beauty and wonder there is on the other expanse of that brain. So do you mind me talking to you just a little bit about how you decided to do this with your and what it's meant for other of your clients who have seen the success that you've had in growing a social brand for a person who was kind of unlikely to be the queen of Twitter (laughs) and what it's meant for her personally to be able to interact with so many young people who are finding her music. She's having so much fun. She sends me stuff all the time and she's like, have you seen this tweet? And I'm like, (laughs) ma'am. ma'am uh it's so funny it's so cute and um I think she's it's for me it's more of like I want her to have her flowers while she's still here and Mm. you know she is a legendary recording artist has you know the longevity in her own right like she doesn't need me but it's one of those things where I'm like I want other generations to know you and we've had a unique opportunity during the pandemic 
because I was, well, let's, you know, this is, we can look at this as a blessing because it yeah. does suck that we're in a pandemic. She um, had a residency in Vegas and it just was like, bye. So I was like, let's, let's play around with some stuff. I'm like, let's reshape what it looks like for others to view you that might not have had the chance to know you. And this is your current demographic. This is where I want you to go. And this is like way at the beginning of the pandemic. Here's a phone, do what you do because she is wow. in her own right. Just so funny on her own time. Or I was just, just say what you're, what you're thinking. And she's like, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I'm like, <laughs> success, <laughs> success, the crazier you can be. Right. Yeah. Or to just yesterday, actually, she was like, this is so fun. Oh but my God. I know. I know. It, it's interesting for me because I feel like social media is such a two pronged tool for people. It can be so depressing for someone if they view social media as, oh, these people have that and I don't. Mm -hmm. If they see it as something that they're outside of versus something that is organic and is actually a part of them. And it's extremely helpful for people who actually know how to utilize it. How do you view it in terms of mental health? Ugh. Such a loaded question. I advise my loved ones all the time. I'm like, look, if you feel FOMO, you're most likely on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> it's designed for FOMO. If you yeah. are really charged and you're angry about something, get off of Facebook where that is. You have to really know the platform that you're on mm -hmm. and know what to expect because Twitter is all about the conversation. Anybody can say anything to you and you just have to take a grain of salt because who hurt them? You have to rewire your thinking to like, oh, that person is hurting. That has, has nothing to do with me. On Instagram, people are wanting you to think I'm perfect. This is my life. I just did this and blah, blah, blah. Look at my food. Like, and it's, it's funny, but it's also one of those things that we learned about in school where it's like, there's going to be new mental illnesses coming with the younger yeah. generation because of these social platforms. So I view it as uh, I'm very cautious, mm -hmm. especially with the younger um, kids in my family and my loved ones. I'm like, be careful with this app because X, Y, and Z and so-and-so owns it now. And it's like, I go into like anti-mode and I'm like, yeah. don't do this, but you got to be careful. Really have an ethical way of approaching these platforms and approach it with grace and kindness because you never know what somebody is going through. And just because they're portraying something online, it doesn't mean that that's their reality. Yeah. And a lot of people forget that. I just recently lost my mom to COVID. And then um, the day after they found my nephew um, dead in San Diego from an overdose, and we kept him in and out of recovery for, gosh, almost nine years. But it was almost as if at that point where day to day, the stress of the pandemic, the stress of gig work, the stress of being your own boss, the stress of... And then I'm managing all these different platforms of social media. It was like, I actually felt the oversaturation in my brain. I felt my inability to sleep at night. Cause I'm like going through TikTok songs and I, you know, and I was just like, oh, control, alt, delete. That's an old fashioned way of how we used to shut down our computers. Yeah. I just I shut it down. I shut down everything for two weeks. I didn't even take phone calls. I didn't even answer texts because I actually realized I needed to just totally reset my brain. And so I did a whole mindfulness thing where I was just like the feel of my dog's nose on my face in the morning, that breeze coming in from the left window. Oh my God. And started cooking again and being really slow and deliberate with my time. And honestly, Brittany, it was so weird because I felt my brain begin to kind of click back on in a much more healthy and grateful way. 
And I was thinking like, would a young person who's had a phone in their hands since they were two years old be able to do this? Because it is wired as an extension. You've never not been with it. It is hard. Um, a lot of my peers, we hold each other accountable for managing burnout, which is what I feel that in a sense you were describing, because on one hand, we have to be fully online, making sure that our clients are good, executing campaigns fully online, Monday to Friday, right? Right. And then during the weekend, some of us do this thing where we disconnect on Sunday and we just don't touch our phone. And I always text my friends. I'm like, Hey, you are dark this week. Good to see you not online. Like what you doing? Like, are you okay? Because it's hard. You're right. It's hard, you know, growing up with the computer and the internet and growing up with the start of AOL and like all of these things of never in a life where you weren't, where there wasn't the internet. When there wasn't internet, you were a fetus. So you didn't really don't know. Yeah. Um, it is very hard. What you did is hard. Ew, I was, I was shocked. You know, I realized and I've done that thing before where I see how many times I check my phone and it's like 140. I've habituated my body and my brain to want that dopamine push from it. Ridiculous. So it was very hard. I felt like I was quitting my own drug that couple yeah. of weeks. God, it's so important to give your brain a rest just to be. We sort of forget about how important that part is for our mental health. Right now, it's like the busiest time of year for me because of the holidays and everybody's putting out holiday campaigns and X, Y, and Z. And so I'm extremely online helping out my clients. Just yesterday before I went to bed, my brain, I, my brain does this thing where it's like, we can't do this anymore. We can't. <laughs> we just simply cannot. I feel uh, you. Sometimes I'll delete the apps off of my phone. Yeah. I'll have to go dark for maybe a week and tell my clients, hey, sorry. In the second, like a different light, I still have clinical depression. I still have anxiety. I still have these things that I'm dealing with every single day and coping with every single day and working on the computer and on my phone. It just, it doesn't help. And I have to know when to stop. I loved this other tweet because some of your tips that you put out for your followers are just exactly in line with the things I like to talk about. You said learning to relate to things as they really are and not as what they remind us of can help us to experience new things instead of repeating old cycles. I, I just want every trauma survivor to hear that. Once again, back to that thing of learning to actually exist in this moment right now it's just you and me we're doing something brand new here it's not about the past it's not about the future it's right in this moment and you know that is like the tenets of zen buddhism and i'm curious have you ever related to the fact that when you're doing your self-care a lot of it comes back to that mindfulness approach around how to live your life i meditate all the time. I am so deeply invested in um, learning about energy because we're all energy. I feel that there is a humanistic approach to life, but then there's also the reason why we're here. And I think it's all behind a wall of ego, living our lives the way that our souls are supposed to live them, right? As humans, we have ego that's normal for us to have, but breaking down the barrier of ego, you get to live unconditionally. That is something that I'm deeply invested in trying to put that word out to people, inspire people to break down the barriers of ego. We all struggle from it. That tweet that you read, I always subliminally tweet myself so that I can go back 
you're right, Brittany. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hard to like meet new people because I get in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, like they hate me. That's just like my initial thought. Yeah. They hate me. Anxiety is a liar. It's because I've had negative experiences with people in the past who didn't align. I'm like, oh, that person reminds me of that person. And because of that, they're not going to like me. But if I get out of my head and I'm like, okay, this is a brand new person. And I get to know and experience a new human being and learn about what they love and their love language and all this stuff. It's helpful because you experience a whole new world. Without all of the assumptions that we make about one another and what is going to come because of who we think we're encountering. I have been curious because I did a lot of work this past year with a lot of companies who were like, how do we deal with the racial trauma that's in our workplace and the people coming back to work that are still very much feeling unsafe. And I was wanting to understand when you speak as a black woman, is there still a reluctance among your peers of color to talk openly about this? Do you see more reluctance among your friends who are black than you do your friends who are white? Um, if they're around my age, then we're just speaking our minds. Oh, wait, I just got to cry a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just never thought I'd reach my point in my career where I could hear that. Yeah. That is so big. It's so huge. Aww. Thank you. We are speaking our mind. And then I find that if you're, if they're slightly older than me, then they're hesitant. I'll get DMs all the time, like for advice where they're like, Hey, I want to start blah X, Y, and Z for mental health. And what are your thoughts on this? Or I really want to speak out about this. What are your thoughts about that? And I'm finding like, it only takes one person to demonstrate for another person to follow suit. You can use that for good and you can use that for evil, depending on what your soul says, but your platform is, is there to inspire others. So I think to answer your question, I'm finding that we're speaking our mind. My friends that are white are asking, Hey, wow. it's okay. Or I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing here because I am an ally. I support, I don't want to come off as, cause some people will just say what they want to say and, yeah. stuff and it's, they didn't do their research. Don't even get me started on big brands. Oh yeah. But they're very mindful of how they approach it. There just feels to me, there's going to be this world that I don't know, I might not be around to see it where not only people really are getting parity for their mental health care, but it is integrated that you don't go to a doctor at a hospital, a very beautiful hospital with a gorgeous lobby and the best real estate. And then your poor mental health clinic over here that you don't have to fight for your medication, that it's all integrated into how we are as human beings, whole human beings with brains that are the biggest organ in our body. Of course, it's part of who we are in our physical health. So I'm wondering if you've thought about what would be your nirvana in terms of both your personal goals in this area of activism and also for society-wide. I would love to have a hand in access to, to mental health care coverage, to not have to make GoFundMe pages. And even as it go, comes down to funeral costs, bereavement, that is hard. Yeah. And, and it's expensive because everybody's got to make a dollar that creates anxiety as well. And you, that person is in shock. So I think that there's not only within the mental health care industry, 
that there's work to be done, but the the companies that benefit from it and also trying to integrate it within our companies and how we approach, hey, I have burnout. Right. employee has burnout, you're not going to get their best work anyway. You might as well let them have, you know, take your PTO. Americans, mostly Americans, because, you know, I've traveled outside a little. I've been around, Sheila. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Around the world. Um, But, you know, other countries approach work life Oh, I know. Medical differently. Australia. Have you been? Yeah. Been to oh, yeah. Yeah. So they approach their, you know, their medical. Is- I mean, the only place where it's churn and burn our employees is in the United States. It really okay. is. And, you know, I have just kind of been astounded to tell you the truth that CEOs haven't seen as part of the great resignation millennials who are now trapped between older parents and young kids and saying, we cannot do this in the way that you've asked us to do it in the past. And they're like, no, we're off to places that are going to give us more flexibility to honor our mental health, to honor our creativity and and what we need as human beings. I am for it. I'm here for it. And you know what? I don't want to get political, but when you say things like that, it reminds me of like AOC, where she's just speaking her mind. Yeah. The way she speaks her mind, it angers older people because I feel it's because they didn't have the courage to say those things when they were hurting. We're breaking those generational curses in every pipeline. God, I've loved talking to you. I could just talk to you like every week. Maybe you can be my standing co-host. We'll have Brittany's hour. That'd be so amazing. You're just incredible, Brittany. And I've so loved hearing about your journey. And I have to tell you, living well in recovery is the best example of why people should start attending to their mental health. Because I look at you and you're just like so vibrant and smart and you have so much to offer the world. Like this old stereotype of people with mental illness with the hand on the forehead is just so wrong. And you are like the poster child, woman, gorgeous phenom of what it looks like to struggle with and live well with a mental illness. I, lo- I just love you coming forward and I, I have absolutely adored talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sheila. I really appreciate it. It's been good. Bye.